encourage you guys to continue this theme. Honestly, I think it's a gift to the industry. I loved your post that 2024 should be the year of unreasonable hospitality. All right. Hey there, Scott. How's it going? I'm doing well. You got us laughing to get started, so I appreciate that. So I'm not going to lie. Today is a snow day, and I actually didn't work the whole snow day. I went outside for two hours, built a snowman, and uh, did some sledding with the kids and came back just in time for this one. So let's go. Nice. What's your, do you take the snowman approach all the way? Are you putting the buttons on, carrot for the nose and everything, or more just low-key uh, snowman? Conrad, I, listen, man, we, we go all the way. I think you should probably know that, right? This this thing's got a mohawk. We got arms. We, we are all the way in, Conrad, all the way. Nice. We don't go halfway here. No, I knew the answer, but I had to ask anyways. Adam, it's cold down here in the Carolinas and my side of the Carolinas, the proper side, but what's going on up there in your neck of the woods? How are you doing? What's going on? Yeah, if it's cold in the South, then it's definitely cold in North Carolina. So yes, also cold here, no snow, which I'm thankful for. I, I don't need snow and I'm happy to get rid of this cold as, as quickly as we possibly can. I'll touch on a couple quick things and then we'll get this conversation started. So not much on the sports side. We've got another indoor soccer game this week. Hopefully we'll have an update uh, by the time we record next week. But two quick plugs to touch on a, a couple threads that we've talked on. So the MIT player that I've been following, uh, my, my daughter's boyfriend, scored the record for freshman. Now he was named the uh, athlete of the week for MIT, which seems pretty big to me. That's pretty awesome. And then my nephew, who quarterback moved over into baseball, found out this week that Christopher Newport University, CNU, that's the school he's at in, in Virginia, Division Three, but they are ranked in the top 20 nationally. So they are in competition for the national title. So that's pretty exciting. And then I'm going to give a quick plug to another podcast that I, I got in touch with, not in touch with, but I've been listening to. And, and Conrad, I, th I think you might appreciate this one. It's called The Big Dig. So if anybody's looking for a fantastic podcast to listen to, The Big Dig is the one I'm, I'm hooked on right now. Can't stop listening to it. I'm about halfway through it. But it goes through the full history of The Big Dig up in Boston. And mm -hmm. for anyone that doesn't know, those of us that lived through it, it was chaos from day one. So if you're looking for a really entertaining podcast, that's the one that I'm listening to right now. Right on. I'll put a link in the show notes. That'll be an interesting one. I might check it out. I remember when I was a kid learning about that or seeing it and my dad just complaining, but he complained about a lot of stuff. So it wasn't necessarily a surprise to me, but certainly complained about that. You said earlier, Adam, that you were avoiding the snow. I think we've got someone with us today that's definitely avoiding the snow because she's down in Alabama and not in her adopted homeland when it comes to Canada. But Heather, welcome. Glad to have you here. How are you doing? What's going on? I'm doing really well. Thank you. So happy to be here. And thank you for inviting me. And yes, you talk about the snow, Scott. I'm just nodding here with the sunshine and the blue water outside my back window in here in Gulf Shores. And I don't have to be in my driveway shoveling. So I'm <laughs> down here for five months. This is my home, my winter home. Yes. <laughs> Another adopted home of the of the ones that you have. <laughs> here on the here in North America, at least. But awesome. Heather, we've got a pretty interesting conversation that I think we want to build off of. But you're a veteran podcaster, so we don't have a really formal structured outline. We're going to chat and go through it. In fact, that was actually one of the first items that we had here on the outline, which is the fact that you've been doing this podcasting for a very long time. I'm just curious for the listener that hasn't heard of you or doesn't know you, I can't imagine that would be the case. But would you mind maybe just a brief background or introduction about you, your start in the space, both podcasting and of course, running a vacation rental company, your successful exit of that company, and the fact that I think you joke about now how you are a recovering property manager and what you're focused on today. Wow. Yes. So brief potted history. I started in this business in, in the UK way back in the 1990s with a holiday company called Clearwater Holidays. And we marketed uh, cottages in Ontario, Canada to the British market. And then it, we decided that me coming out to Canada every six weeks was not that economically viable. So we went the whole hog and packed up everything and burned our bridges and left those shores of the UK and went to Ontario, where we've been ever since 2003. And there is a long story behind starting our property management company, but I'm not going into that. We just started a property management company in 2004, which we sold in last year. No, it wasn't last year. It was the year before last now. It's nearly two years now since that we sold. By that time, we were managing just under 200 properties across Ontario and 
having a wonderful time. And of course, as there was a lot of sales going on in 2022 and I joined that little bandwagon and yes, sold to, to a, a great group of guys, a, a private equity investment company who just leapt in and have really taken it to the next level already in such a short space of time. So the podcast started, actually, I bought my first equipment in 2005 to start a podcast. By 2014, I still hadn't learned how to use it. I did a course and figured out how to plug all those wires in and press the right buttons. Started that in 2014, and we're now on 10 years in. We're just publishing episode 542. And yeah, we've published every week since then. Yep. Is that enough? That's... Do you have the gen now? <laughs> Yeah, we have the just now. I've got one more question, then I'm going to go to Adam about the arch archival nature of the podcast, because he posted on LinkedIn, excited about the recording today. So Adam, I'm coming your way in one second. One question I forgot to ask that we didn't give you any heads up on, so you might catch you a little flat-footed, is we also <laughs> need a song that best describes you as well, Heather. That that will be a difficult one. Can I come back to that? Okay, we'll come back to that. We'll put a pin in that and come back. All right, so Adam, I'll go your direction then. So, so you I'm, post I'm not going to talk anymore because yeah. I'm now thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Adam doesn't mind taking a, a few minute ledge for him to explore. So Adam, you had posted that you had been on the podcast before previously, meaning Heather's podcast. And I was as well. I think you had made it on there before before me. So, but it, was it interesting to go back? Did you listen to snippets of what you were saying back then? Remind me the episode number when that was. And it'd be interesting to see how you think about it then. And do you ever listen to yourself and think, oh, that was pretty clever? Or do you listen and go, man, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about? What was your perspective. So first I've got to fall on the sword because the song question is usually my job to, to tell people about <laughs> prior to. So uh, Heather, my fault for not giving you that alert. We do well, like I've, to- I've got it now if you want it. Oh, perfect. Jump oh, yeah. right in. Yeah, it's my very favorite song and it's Here Comes the Sun. Okay. Love it. Very apt today. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> But, that's that's, a, that's a but I like decision. I like to think that, that describes me too because I'm I am absolutely a, a 100% glasses full person. I can attest. And I've gotten that from assumption. every interaction that I've had with Heather, and I, <laughs> I appreciate that because I I try to be that way as well. And I do I try to remember every song that we've had, or at least the genre or band. Is that the first Beatles song? I feel like it is. Oh, too deep nice at this point. That's, that's great. <laughs> Well, Scott gave me the nod, so I think we're accurate. He's the record keeper. But to go back to your question, Conrad, so yes, I actually listened to the full episode yesterday. I remembered that I was on it, and I tracked it down and listened to it in preparation for this. And I think it holds water, right? I think that the ideas, and this was really my post on LinkedIn, was the thoughts and the discussion that we had around marketing. And this is 2014, so this is right around the time that, that Heather was getting started. I was at the end of 2014, so I think I was episode number 54, 500 episodes ago, but we were talking about marketing. I had just recently come out of marketing as the director of marketing for Seaside Vacations here on the Outer Banks, was at with Point Central for a couple of years, still focused on marketing at that time. But the discussion centered around vacation rental marketing, what I had done with Seaside. And one of the reasons that we had gotten together was I was uh, the chair of the Verma Communications Committee at the time, and Heather was joined and, and we uh, got together and just started chatting about marketing. And as I listened to it yesterday, I, I was pleasantly surprised that a lot of the ideas that I was using back then, and really if I stretch that back, so the discussion was 2014, but I started in, in the vacation rental marketing side in around 2008. When I started shifting everything online, really the same concepts that I was using for the five or so years that I was doing that, I, I feel like they still are applicable today. And I think there's two parts to that. One, I think that content is still the main focus and we could go into a lot of different tangents on that, but I think content is still where a lot of the value of online presence, online community, online marketing still grows from that. And that's where my focus always was, whether it was pictures, videos, blog content, I was really focused on, on online content and it, it served me very well during that time in the Outer Banks. And in fact, I don't think anybody's picked up behind that. And this is why I say that one, I don't think I think content is still really a, a strong focus. But outside of that, I think that as simple as that is, it's not easy. And I don't see a lot of people following behind that and picking up the same sort of concepts and continuing to do things on a consistent basis. For me, that meant every day. I would go out and I would be creating this content every day. Now, part of that probably goes back to some of the discussions that we've had on this podcast a number of times is the last few years were, were pretty easy for people. And I think that you didn't have to put in all of that marketing effort to get the direct bookings and build the community that you wanted to. So there is probably a period of 
hey, we got a little lazy with what we were doing. But outside of that, I really think that the discussion that we had, and I think it was, I don't know, 12 tips that I was sharing, I still feel like almost all of those are applicable. In fact, I took one or two that that Scott and I will talk about it as we go forward and hopefully we can implement today. Yeah. My my feeling, Adam, I didn't listen to that podcast. I'll go back and listen to it. I'll pop in my feed or I'll scroll back 500 deep in Overcast and, and find it, is that it, it's so funny. I've tried to simplify our question process on the first call. That first call is like a get to know you a little bit. And it could so quickly veer off when we're talking to a new client of what they're doing today and stuff. And, and I've simplified it to be like, there's three buckets maybe in the marketing side that really move the needle. There's search, which is both organic and paid. There's social, there's organic and paid, and there's email. And I'm just asking them to rate their level of activity in those three channels. So are you doing something? a good amount or a lot with the search? Are you doing something, a good amount or a lot with social? And then the same thing for email. And I had a call um, this past week where basically the conclusion was he was doing virtually nothing in all these three areas, uh, but was still getting a good amount of direct bookings. was still at 20 odd percent, 22, 23% direct bookings. So I was like, if you're doing nothing and you're already getting a good amount of direct bookings, it's a reasonable assumption to think that if we come in here and do all these things with at least a medium amount of effort and skill, we can make it a lot better. But I actually said to him what you just said there, Adam, is that if he contributes, if he chips in, we're not in Portugal. That's where he happened to be, by the way, which is not common for us to get a lead there. But if we're not in there. So if you can give us additional photo content and video content, and then we can edit that and publish that and get it on your site, get it on social, you're going to do even better, right? I was saying, let's do this together. This is not a hand it over and, and do everything. And I feel like, Adam, what I was going to get at is that your position, as it existed back at Seaside Vacations so long ago, I feel like that's not really as common anymore. There's someone in the office that's responsible for rates, maybe. There's certainly reservations that's often responsible there. But now it's like a lot of clients will offshore that, or they'll have someone that's not in the Outer Banks doing it. So that idea of going down to the beach, taking a photo, I feel like it's just not as common now as it was back then, which is probably a shame. It's probably made the marketing a little bit less effective, in my opinion. Do you have yeah, that's very that? interesting when you think about that, though, because the reality is that what I was doing was fueling those three buckets because I was fueling online. I was fueling the, the SEO you know, the content building with the content that I was creating. I was fueling the social with the content I was creating. And I was fueling the email bucket with the content I was creating. They all go together in order to fuel all of those. So I, I hadn't thought about it the way you just put it. And it's, I guess it's a little bit of a shame to think that maybe people aren't uh, focusing on a position that can go out and capture local flavor, because that's ultimately what I think this business is all about is that local flavor. So if we've taken a step away from capturing that, I think there's a, a huge gap that we can recapture in the near future. Heather, I want to go your direction. So the idea that we had when we talked with Sarah last episode was we were talking about this idea that people end up in this business accidentally. Everyone, it seems like in my experience, always has the story about how we accidentally ended up in the business, which I'm sure is true. Like, I don't think there's someone right now who's 20 years old who probably will be operating a vacational company 10 years from now or some combination of that who's thinking, yeah, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be this vacational manager. So everyone ends up in it accidentally. So how do we make sure this was our thesis with Sarah? You haven't listened to this episode yet because it hasn't come out. So I'm trying to restate some of the, some of this. How do we make sure that the people who are in these vacational companies are thinking about what Adam was doing way back 10 years ago that still works today? How do we give them the right knowledge and education? Because this is something that I think you're passionate about and you're working on today is knowledge and education for the vacational manager, correct? Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. And, and we've taken a little bit of a pivot in the last couple of months from what we were doing, which was a lot of sort of ad hoc vacation rental training alongside the, the conferences and the seminars and the presentations that people go to at conferences. And we were offering something maybe a little bit beyond that. I We got into 2024, and in fact, just a little bit before that, and that whole thing that comes out about what's your word for the year. And you've just said mine, Conrad, and that's intentional. And I realized when I picked that word intentional for 2024, that we what we were doing was not intentional. And also to go back on what you just said, I would love it if in five years time or 10 years time that people were coming out of school and college and saying, I intend to be a property manager. I intend to go into this business and become a general manager and then perhaps take over a company. That's an in I'd like to see them becoming intentional. And in order to do that, there has to be a path for them to follow, to do that. The hotel industry has it. The hotel industry has Cornell and the Cornell School of Hospitality. We have nothing. We just have fragmented pieces of information that gets labeled with the word education. And this is what we're in the very, very early days because there's nothing out there 
like this at the moment and this is what we're aiming for that in perhaps two years time and this is you know, a very lofty goal that we have in two years time to have an education curriculum that has been accredited by a school or university by maybe i'm talking to somebody from cornell maybe we look at the the real estate world i know they have their courses but do they have a truly accredited course that covers every aspect of this business from and interesting i was talking to steve trover the other day from better talent and he was saying that so many people are coming into this industry now and they have no clue where it came from where we were before what do we call it um, bba before airbnb they don't know anything other than airbnb and they need to know the history of the in industry. Skift did a great three article. I don't know if you've come across it, a three article series yes. on the history okay. of this business. And it's a terrific look back into where we were 15, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, but the where, what Steve and I were talking about was this needs to be core, this core information of where we've come from. You talked about... Podcast. I've just listened to a terrific podcast. I don't know if you've come across it. Business Wars, it's called. And so it's by Wondery. And they take two, two companies, two businesses, and put them along side by side and talk about their um, evolution. And this particular one is Hilton versus Marriott mm. that I've listened to. And it was just so great going back to the night 1919 when Hilton when Conrad Hilton went into a little town in Texas and needed somewhere to stay for the night and ended up buying the hotel that he stayed in. So it's and I really got into how hotels are the way they are today from looking at that history. And I think that's something that needs to be there for our business. And then going forward. Your basic knowledge of things of the what we're calling the pillars of this industry, hospitality, and responsibility. And once again, this is it, it's all too easy for somebody to say, "I'm getting into this business. I'm buying my own houses, and then I'm going to start managing other people's." Which is what I did way back in 1999 with absolutely no knowledge, and I had to wing it all the way through. People are doing the same thing now; they're winging it but with this fragmented knowledge. So yeah. yeah, that that's where we are now. Yeah. Scott, I was going to go your direction on this idea of, because you're, I'm imagining you're often taking people on the operation side who maybe don't know the vacation rental industry. Maybe they have an experience in cleaning or property maintenance or things like that. What knowledge do you think, do you have to typically give to like maybe a vendor that you're working with on the operation side to understand our industry if they are in fact new to it on various, those elements? Yeah, so, so we do a lot of hands-on. So for us, when we hire someone, we Bill Hill, who we've had on this podcast, he's our benchmark and sets the standards. We typically send people down with him. So people will go down and do a full week down in Hilton Head and, and go through the ins and outs, the full operation, right? And walk a day or a week with Bill and essentially say, hey, on Mondays, here's the approach on this and, and walk them through. And the other thing that I'm a huge believer in, I was just thinking about this because Lauren Madewell posted something on LinkedIn where she said she's staying at some of her own properties, right? And she's going to mm -hmm. experience it. And I think it was booking.com, but I'm not sure. But one of these one of these companies did what they call dog fooding, right? Eating your own dog food, which means you experience your own product. And they did this crazy thing where they had folks in the office track someone. And basically they had mirrored you from the moment you first touched the site, right? So they knew Conrad that it was you touching the site. They watched you go all the way through. And even if you left and came back, they watched that. And then what they would do is they would have the person meet you at your first entry to wherever you were staying, right? So if you were arriving by train, that person would meet you. The hook is the person from the company couldn't offer you any help. All they did was walk with you. And they told some of the wildest stories that were just like, it's one of those things that is funny, but also not. Hey, like one of them was the key was at the gift shop at the train station. Now, once, if you didn't stop there, the place is like 30 minutes away. And like, they talked about the person let them walk straight past the gift shop, get all the way to the door, 
figure out that they didn't follow the instructions, right? But it, if you look at that, we actually, we've tried that. Now, COVID stopped us, but we started doing that even with our frontline folks. Get them out. We would get them a reservation and everything, and they would go through the entire process that the clients did. And again, all they had is whatever we provided the client. So we've used it in both senses, right? We've used it in the sense of, hey, you, you're going to learn and see. But we've also learned ourselves, right? When they come back and go, this didn't happen and that didn't happen. And, and I'm a big believer in that. For me, one of the other things that we'll do is when I hire a new manager, typically, depending on the position, typically I won't give them full training. What I'll do is let them work for a month. We'll give them some high level stuff, right? That we call it the client journey. So they understand all of the pieces, but then we just immerse them in it. They come back at 30 days and then they go through training because what that allows them to do is as they're going through training, go, that's not what I experienced or that's not what I, so then now they're balancing the two out. So I think it's direct interaction, real interaction inside of the, the actual operation that makes the difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, it, when, when you were talking about that, I was thinking of that people learn in different ways. And we're always told this, right? There's some people who are visual learners and some people learn by audio and some people learn by doing and so on and so forth. I feel like the one universal from my experience, as I've had more people come onto my team, is the classic, okay, I'm going to show you how to do it. Maybe it's a screen share. We live in this remote world and things like that. Now I'm going to stop. I'm going to pause for a moment and I'm going to say, now, what did I just say? Or explain it back to me or repeat back what I said. Or in the scenario of property management, it would be they follow Bill for a week. And then on the eighth day, Bill follows them. All right, here's my list that we got to do today. Now I'm going to follow you doing all these tasks. And then you actually see that people will happily nod along and say they understood what you were asking them. And they're like, oh yeah, I got this. And then you ask them, okay, say it back to me or show me how you're going to do it then. And then they start to find the little cracks in the armor, so to speak. So I don't know, Heather, I'm sure you worked with lots of people and hired lots of people on your team during that time frame. How do you, is there like a teaching style that you think is more appropriate potentially for this type of thing where it's more real world as opposed to a textbook or something like that? I guess I'm curious, like the, I know there's a word for this. I can't find it. It's like pediology or something like that. There's like how you teach like the teaching styles. I don't know if you have any thoughts about how that might potentially come together down the road in this business. Yeah. You may be a pedagogy. I don't know what it is. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> my, my dad would call that a 50 cent word and I'm failing. I'm about 40 cents short of a 50 cent word today. So. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, um, I, uh, before I started doing this thing, I did have a life before vacation rentals and before moving out here. So I ran a training company in the UK and we trained, in fact, mainly we were in the, in the national health service training middle managers in hospitals. So it was training in marketing and communications and just general management issues. And everybody has different ways of of learning there are those who who want to do you know that they learn better with hands-on there are those who want to sit and stare at a at a screen and just watch videos they'll learn by the videos and then there's those who who like the audio listening to somebody talk to them so in in any i i think with when you get a new employee you need to establish what is their best method of learning what do you like to do do you want because some will have somebody sitting next to them and just as you were talking about conrad somebody's talking them through and they're not going to they're not going to take it all in because that is not their preferred way of learning so it's really important to establish that i think right from the very start there's there are those who will really benefit from going away to a training course and sitting in a room with other people and there are those who will find that just the worst thing ever. And all they want is a big stack of SOPs on their desk and they will go through it and go through every SOP and they'll learn brilliantly like that. We're all so different. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, I was curious your perspectives here. Again, you've led teams before, you know, what that's like both business teams and sports teams. And I feel like this, I listen to this podcast all the time called the GM shuffle. And he talks about talents, go coaching and scheme when it comes to football teams. And I'm like, that's business too, right? The talent of the people on our team, the coaching is like the type of direction that we're giving the people on our team. And then the scheme is more in my mind, like the strategy is what we're doing, the right approach, or if we're selling into this type of client, is that the right approach? That sort of thing. I feel like the same thing could apply to a vacational business. There's talent. There's how are we teaching the people? 
people? How are we coaching those people? And then scheme may be more like properties or like the type of properties that we're marketing. But it's the same thing. If one of those three things is off, it's hard to make progress. If you've got a great team and you're trying to work on the right problem, but the properties suck, then you're not going to make, make very much progress, right? And if the properties are great, but the team sucks, that's not going to be very good either. So I guess, how do you think about this? There's a teaching component, an educational component, but how do we keep those things in balance too from like a coaching talent scheme perspective? I think it's really difficult. And I, I think it's a moving target. I, I'm a believer that we're all making things up as we go. E even if there's a strong track record, even if you look at, to, to Heather's point that Cornell and a lot of schools have hotel, right? I went to UMass and they had HRTA. I think it's hotel and restaurant administration or something like that. So there's a lot of schools. And I had friends that, that were doing that, that were thinking like, from the beginning, they went into college and they were going HRTA for whatever reason, either they worked in restaurants or they thought they were personable and, and they felt like a hotel might be a good place. So they had this mindset that they were going to go in there and do this. And I think that to, to Heather's point, getting vacation rentals into that discussion and, and hopefully accredited and into actual schools, actual hospitality training I think there's a lot of value to that to open people's minds to what we're doing. Uh, and I do agree with you that the history is very important because you got to understand where this has come from. To Steve's point around the history and that lack of that knowledge, you hear that all the time. And we've even heard that on this podcast when we've talked to some of the newer people that have entered the industry. People don't even know what Verma is. People don't know that this was an industry prior to Airbnb inventing the industry. Well, clearly, it's been around for a very long time. Clearly, there are well-established businesses that have been doing this, learned, grown, evolved. And these new people that feel like Airbnb invented it, they're missing all of that opportunity to learn from the people prior to them. Now, with that said, I'll go back to my original statement. I think that we're all making this up. As much as there is a history to this, everything is fluid and in motion and changing. So while I look at a business and I look at the, the talent and the coaches and the scheme that I'm putting into place, I'm also always thinking about who am I going up against, whether it's my competition or whether it's someone in a new market that I can learn from or someone outside of the industry that I can learn from. I'm looking to see where I can plug different pieces in. And maybe that's the coaching, maybe that's the scheme, but maybe that's also the talent. I think one of the challenges is to figure out how to give people enough of a base knowledge so that they can understand where they are and then give them the freedom to think outside of that to figure out where do we evolve this industry next. Because as much as I am a proponent of we've got to educate everybody who's coming into this because we have a, a large gap in the history as well as the, the processes and the successes that have led to this, but even more importantly, the mistakes that have been made that continue to be repeated it'd be really good to get that education. And then from there, build around the evolution and the great ideas that can come from there. Because I think right now, we're using a lot of the energy of this new idea to actually reinvent the same things that have been done time and time again. I'd love to get a base knowledge so that we can use that same innovative energy to think about where can we take this? How can we really explode this industry? I think that we're on the edge of really strong evolutions. But we've really got to get our mindset on where that's going and how to free people up to start thinking that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I wonder, Heather, you have this very interesting perspective because you had started in the UK, end up in Canada. Now I'm sure you've talked to many people over the years who are marketing the US. And I know I'm sure your podcast gets a wide international listenership, people from Europe, people from Asia, et cetera. So my question, I guess, is around everything Adam just said, what applies in one market may not make much sense in another market. What actually works in Canada, I think you had described to me before that there was owners that wanted to do their own turnovers or that a cleaning wasn't expected in some scenarios in the past. It was just like, yeah, try to leave it in good shape for the next guest to arrive. So there's these cultural differences. Linens is another one I used to bring up. There's markets in, I think mean, it used to be the case in like Maryland and Rhode Island and things like that. We're like, nope, no linens. Like I'm renting you the house, not the linens. So these are just little narrow examples, but you've been through these different places in your life in this business. What do you think there can be a curriculum that's applicable to the Ontario cottage rental and the short-term rental in Philadelphia and the beach house in Miami? Is there one way that all those things should work or do we have to adapt it to like the local culture norms, the, the expectations of the guests, that sort of thing? You make some great, you make great points there and you take it back 15 years and yes, there was huge disparity from the old leavers found mentality, which we had. That, that was where we started with you go on vacation and you spend your last day on vacation cleaning those toilets and leave it nice for the next people. And we did have someone check, but 
it, a lot of people weren't having any checks done between guests. But that's over the years, I've seen those gaps narrowing. And I know there's still places out in certainly the east of the US where the whole linens thing is still a big issue. People are still taking their own linens. You come out in, into Ontario now and every agency is offering full service now. They're all, linens are there for every property. So it, it, it is narrowing. But I, th I think there is a case for a foundation of of education that, that covers what I mentioned earlier, this, this whole issue of trust. We are asking people to come and, and particularly those who are doing direct booking, you're asking mm -hmm. people to trust you, but you're not giving them indication of why in why they should. Why should I trust you? And then responsibility, which covers understanding of local legislation and regulations. It covers safety. It covers the necessity for insurance. So those things. And then, of course, the basic philosophy of hospitality, which which appears to not be as, as primary as it was 10 or 15 years ago. So I, th and I think this is universal. It's, the trust, responsibility, hospitality is universal. And then there are principles. There's principles of owner acquisition, principles of how you deal with people who are looking to trust you. Going back to the trust, trust you with their properties. There's principles of revenue management. There's principles of operations. And I think in every area around the world, you're going to have your local the local quirks, the local ways of doing things, but having a grounding in those basic principles of what goes into a really comprehensive property management system is, I, I think it's essential and it's something that maybe it's never ever been there. It certainly wasn't there when I started out. Everything was done from what I could glean from sneaking around other people's companies because they weren't sharing it at that time. And I had to call them up and, and pretend to be an owner. And <laughs> so I could figure out how they did that. But nowadays it's, um, it's a lot more open. But I, uh, yeah, as I say, I think that's just these core principles of how we create, how we manage a company, how our staff work within it, how teamwork works. These are universal. So it's funny, as Heather was talking, and even at its core, because we always say, oh, I accidentally fell into this. And, and we talked last podcast and said, okay, when did you decide that you were here to stay? And then you started acting in that manner, right? When did you take responsibility? But it's funny because at the core, if you really look at this, think about what we're entrusted with. An owner has given us something probably worth half a million bucks, right? Maybe on average end, right? It's half a million bucks. So it's, oh yeah, can you just watch this for me? Then you have people that have saved up probably all year to go on a vacation, right? They give you money that's the large percent isn't even yours, right? So now you're holding money that doesn't even belong to you, right? To then later pay to the owner. I mean, if you really look into this, this is a serious, real business with so many things that like are super high value. And yet to Heather's point, like, I don't even think we've covered the core of, okay, I'm, someone handed you the keys of a place worth half a million dollars what's next, right? How are you protecting that thing, right? It, it's the Eric Thibodeau, the Justin Ford, right? Safety, right? Because you, you look at it and, and we, and even as Heather was talking, we don't really give credit to the the burden of responsibility that we're taking, both from an owner perspective and a guest perspective. It, it's significant. It's really significant. And, and all this, we're accidentally here. Again, it, it's it's a funny story. And listen, but to Heather's point, like I hope someday this becomes a, an industry that everyone goes. But again, at some point, like the accident's over and you're running like a real serious business now. So what's the plan? Yeah, accident's over when the accident happens. <laughs> 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 and you're not insured to cover it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> the moment where it really feels real is when something like, wait, that didn't go how it's supposed to go or how it had gone the last 20 times. The 21st guest is the one that really whacks you on the side of the head or something like that. It's, I think I've told this story before, Heather. So I'm curious. I, we have a, we didn't talk about this before. Do you still own any properties yourself? Over time, you had, I think, acquired properties, correct? Did you sell all those mm -hmm. when you stopped managing as well? Yeah, I had seven properties at one time. And okay. we had four or five before we came out to Canada. And then okay. one by one, I just... <laughs> wanted to get out of that business. 
So both businesses, in fact, I wanted to get out of the out of the business of independent ownership, and also time came to get out of the property management businesses as well. But having said that, and I'm just checking to see if anybody's listening to me, I'm, I'm always thinking about, oh, it would be really nice to to do another one or two. Costa Rica, <laughs> right? Is that right? If memory serves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. That's where my that's where my thoughts are going. So, but at one point you had seven and then you decided to move on from that. And the comment we made, I forget which episode it was, if it was two or three ago, was someone claimed that this is passive income, Heather, that why would you, if you own the seven properties, why in the world would you ever sell seven properties that I'm sure were making you income right off those properties? So maybe you could speak to that idea a little bit because there's someone who's listening to the to this who is that new person who believes in this kind of post Airbnb world as the only version of our industry that exists. And they think, yeah, it's easy. You just put it on Airbnb, you get the money and maybe they haven't encountered that 21 guest back to Scott's point or your point. What are the, not like the ugly parts, but how do we educate and train people? Maybe that's the way I'll frame it more accurately. How do we educate and train people so that they're ready for that 21st guest that is actually the one that wants to make you rip all your hair out and go a little bit crazy? Oh, I, I do a lot of it by just by storytelling. <laughs> you know, we've got so many stories over 20 years of management of the, the phone ringing at two o'clock in the morning and deep fire alarms going off and the fire department are on the way and I can hear the sirens and but we can't find any fire so it the place isn't going to burn down but the fire alarm's gone off and the fire department are coming and who gets to deal with that who gets to deal with the angry guests who de- gets to deal with the fire department who now want to charge you for a call out that was perhaps frivolous I don't know yes it's stories I've got so many stories over these 20 years that show that this is not a passive income business even if you have the ubiquitous co-host the, the one who says I'm a co-host I've done the course they've taken the course from the person who's been in the business for six months and It doesn't matter because the buck stops with you. The buck stops with that person who owns the place because something really bad happens. That co-host is going to skedaddle as fast as you can imagine because they don't want, they don't want to take liability. And of course you're sitting there and you're, you've relied on the Airbnb insurance to cover you. I read a fabulous, yes, I read a, a, it wasn't a great post. It was a, very sobering post on on a law firm. I think it was a Minnesota law firm. Might have been Michigan. It began with an M and you've got quite a few states beginning with M, so I could be wrong. But it was about why you should not rely on Airbnb insurance. Mm. As you yeah, this is not video. The air quotes came up from you, Conrad, the moment I said insure Airbnb insurance. <laughs> Because what will happen in that particular state, the your own Airbnb will go after your own insurance before theirs kicks in. And so if somebody makes the claim against you, then it's your own insurance. And if you haven't got any, and this is insurance up to a million dollars, you sh- you have to have insurance up to a million dollars into the in this state. If you haven't and something happens, then you're on the hook for a million dollars before Airbnb will kick in. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that people thinking that this is passive income should know about, as as well as a multitude of others. It's not. Right. That's that's just like scratching the beginning of a a, a deep <laughs> nest of, of things that can go on. But to your point, like the edge pieces. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I, I was just going to say I know this because we were sued. We got okay. sued. Um, yeah. A slip and fall. It turned into a. It, it was a priv- frivolous claim. It was a lady in her 80s who slipped on a curbstone and Mm. broke her knee and then sued us for loss of income. Oh, what was her career at the time when she was in her mid-80s? She was a handy lady, apparently. She did all her own do-it-yourself because because she was now unable to do this. She wasn't able to do all her own repairs, so she had to hire people to come in. (laughs) As I say, frivolous. But that was two years of of stress, and we had amazingly good insurance, but we still had to do depositions. And so I I always wondered what it would have been like if we hadn't had this. Hmm. And and Heather, you you never win. Even though it comes back as frivolous the thousands of dollars that you had to pay just to get back to yeah it turns out that this wasn't a, a thing yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah 
I learned this early in my career as well. I had a former employer who wasn't happy that I left on my own and I had to retain a business lawyer to figure out what I could do and couldn't do, basically, was the conclusion there, the short version of the story. And uh, he was getting paid three fifty an hour to give me advice. And he wanted to sit there and chit chat when we hopped on the phone, by the way, to Heather. And I was like, <laughs> I've never paid this much money in my life for anything. We are getting right to the meat of the matter. But I, to your point, Scott, the, the lawyers always win, even when you lose. That's often the case. But it goes to show you, to pull back a little bit, the complexity of, of what this is. And so back to the original thesis that we're having today, talking about education, it's like without this education and understanding each of these pieces, I could imagine a whole section of a course, Heather, in this potential learning curriculum down the road about liability, about here's things that have happened, here's examples, here's case law, here's situations that have occurred. We hate to say it, but deaths have occurred in vacation rental homes. Sometimes but that's been the fault of the property owner, of the host, not taking this stuff seriously. And so luckily we have people in our industry that advocate for it, but sometimes people only listen to them when thing, bad things happen. I know this because I've talked to Eric quite uh -huh. a bit lately, and that's his posts get more reach when he says that kind of stuff, as opposed to saying stuff that's a little bit more, let's be proactive, let's have safety controls this place, in place is one thing that, that Eric said before. So it's that's the tricky part too, right? Like in, I was going to do a comparison earlier about the fire alarm. Well, in a hotel, it's actually easy, right? Like I'm 50 feet if I'm at the front desk from where the problem may occur. I can get up there pretty quickly. In your business, right, Heather, you were so spread out geographically. That was one concern that I think sometimes people don't understand either. So yeah, I'm trying to pivot through some other questions here. And I know we don't have a ton of time with you. So I want to be respectful of that as well. Heather, there's some sunshine to get back to. I know in your nick of the world, but maybe you could go through how things change for you over time. And then when you did decide to sell, maybe you could talk about that process if you're open to it. What was that final step for you of selling and, and moving past operating the business day to day? And you've talked about what you're doing today, but I guess I'm just curious about that thought process too. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I was in business. I had a business partner, Craig, mm -hmm. and he and I worked together well over, over the years. And something that we always said was we've got to decide when we want to sell three years before we want to sell. And it's not something we can do overnight. Just say, Hey, let's, Put the business on the market tomorrow. We've had a really good year. Pre-COVID, we decided that this was probably a good time to start getting these things in, in, in place. And something I add, when we do our foundational course, we talk about business planning and having a business plan that is not a static document. It's not something you do when you start your business and you never look at it again. It's something that you revisit on a full day or even a couple of days every year to bring it up to date. And we hadn't done this. We did not have a business plan. We were, Craig and I were never really out to make a lot of money. We just wanted to live nice, comfortable lives. And one day we'd sell it and we'd yield enough to continue to make, have nice, comfortable lives once we were retired, which fortunately that's what we did. But yes, it was just before COVID and we decided that we should do this. And so, it was, we didn't really have a decision on the date we were going to sell, but we, we I think about 2018 and we said, okay, we'll sell in three years time. And then 2019 came and it's like, okay, we'll sell in three years time. And then COVID came and everything came to a halt for almost a, although it didn't come to a halt for almost a year, because of course, every like everybody else, we had the best 20, 2020 was one of the best years ever. Once, once we came out of lockdown, but at that point, we got our business plan and we were documenting everything and our financial status was in place. So we knew that at any point after that, if we wanted to sell, we had three years of really good records. So we decided at the beginning of 2021 that we just had, beginning of 2022, we just had the best two years ever. And this was a good time to sell, even though there wasn't... Anybody who had any business acumen was not going to come in and look at a company in 2022 and say, oh, this, this is great. Look at these figures of 2020 and 2021, because I think everybody knew they were outliers. But we'd, we'd had a good 2019, so, <laughs> and we still had the figures from 2018 as well. So we had thought way out about this. And when it got to the point where we decided to put the business on the market and we got a business broker and he was looking at uh, basically it would be somebody in Toronto or in in Ontario who would want want to come along and buy it and I was amazed we had we sent out 50 NDAs wow. and we ended up I think doing 13 interviews with potential buyers it, it really was our market 
And one of the buyers was one of our ex-guests nice. who had been, like they'd been for, they'd stayed, I think, three or four times. And they loved the idea of the business. And then we had what, a couple of our owners were interested. But we had interest from the US as well. So I was really amazed at the broad nature of the people that were interested in the business. But then this Pillar 49 came along and we had this chat. And I think Craig and I knew immediately. We talked with these three guys in their early 30s who had absolutely no experience in the business. But the enthusiasm was their knowledge of, their knowledge of the financials was there. And we just felt, you get that gut feeling. We had that gut feeling that they were going to be good. I'm, I'm sure you've met Pete Buttigieg at VRMA or some other conference who, who was part of Pillar 49. Pete goes to the conferences. Justin, who's the CEO now, hasn't gone to the conferences yet. I expect to see him there at some time in the future. But we yeah. have never looked back from selling the business to them. They took the staff. They, they didn't lose any staff. They didn't lose any owners. And they've just taken it to the next level now. And it's, I'm, I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of the company that we were able to sell on that they've done so well with and see it just growing and being even more successful. Yeah. The, the owner's bit really had me smiling because that's when you know you made the right decision too, right? It's so sad to see the V company come in and buy these companies out and just watch it crumble. It's sad. It's happened to clients of mine that we'd worked with for a long time that sold in 21 and 22 and that sort of thing. I know we're up against it. We're already probably already at time, Heather. So I got one more question for you. And then Adam, I'll go back your way if you want to take in a few parting shots on questions, because I feel like I didn't give you the mic today as much as I normally do. So apologies there. But Heather, we're actually asking this question as well, also flat-footed. So if you need a minute, let us know. <laughs> but is there anyone that you think we should have next as a guest on the art of hospitality on our side of things? Anyone comes to mind, perhaps that hasn't had a voice or hasn't had a chance to talk on this kind of level about this kind of stuff that maybe we we could potentially chat with on the show in the future. Oh, absolutely. Kerry Gibson from Chalet Hooger. Okay. We will write Chalet's that down. Chalet Hooger yeah. in, in the eastern townships of Quebec. She gave the most amazing talk at the Vacation Rental Women's Summit about okay. her journey from being in the corporate world to running a group of seven chalets in, in her local village and her hospitality focus is just second to none. And I just had her on my podcast recently talking about her partnerships and relationship with people in the community. And yeah, I went to stay at her place a couple of months ago, Mike and I went and we had two days there and I was just blown away with what she's doing. So very small company, but this is a lady with big ambition. I think she'd be great for you. No, no, thank you. We appreciate that. Adam, anything else to clean up here before we let Heather go for today? Uh, yeah, so I'll make a, a couple quick ones. And, and no worries, it, it was a fantastic uh, discussion to listen to, to Heather's side of things. And again, I'll fall on the sword, but Heather came through really quickly. I did not prep her for that at all, but you, you rattled that suggestion off great. <clears throat> Heather also gave us the suggestion for uh, Catherine Ratcliffe, who we'll talk with in a, in a couple of weeks around uh, vacation rental benefits. And I, I think there's a huge gap there too. So any suggestion that you have, please send our way, Heather. We, we uh, much appreciate it. I'll point out a couple quick things about that sale process. So one, I think that everyone should recognize that Heather was doing this in preparation. So you've really got to think through, hey, if I'm going to sell, you've got to know what to get in line so that you can get the best value for your business. You do not want to rush that. The other point I'll make there is trust your gut. You, you talk to the right people and you're going to know pretty quickly, hey, these are the right people that should take over my business. Because to Conrad's point, you sell to the wrong person and maybe it's the highest price, but you just lost your business. You lost your staff. You lost your homeowners. There's, and as Scott mentioned, there's a lot of people that trust us with what we're doing. Okay. The sale is also part of that trust. You've got to make sure mm -hmm. that you're shifting off to the right people that can carry the legacy that you've built and not just watch it fall apart. I think the only last thing I'll, I'll ask and ask Heather, and, and you mentioned a little bit about Pete, who's now going to the conferences. So maybe this is just the answer, but I love your focus on the educational side of things. And I think the challenge is that it's going to take some time to get there, especially on the accredited side, but all of the great things that you're going to do are, are going to take a little bit of time to get there. Here we are in 24, conferences, education gets planned well in advance. So if you had to tell anybody, what should you do in 24 to educate yourself? Is it conferences? Is it webinars? What do you think 
people listening should do to, to get that base education, knowing what we've got in front of us and knowing that it might take you a little time to get your stuff out there? Yeah, I'll come back to my word of, of the year, intentional. Be intentional. It's it's not that intentional just to decide to go to every conference that's out there. Be intentional about what's available in terms of of, of the education that's on offer. If if they're not showing who's there and talking, and if if they've got material that's going to be of interest to you, then don't do it. Or <laughs> these things are expensive to go to. But the webinars, oh, I love these panel webinars. We're doing one. In fact, during the month of February, I don't know when this one's going to be published, but we've got what we're calling Stir Crazy Month, and we're hoping to make it an annual event. So we've got one week on each of the... So Stir is two S's, safety, sustainability, trust, insurance, and regulations. So we're having a week on each of those, and and those these things that are free to attend... Once again, be selective because respect your time. But I would also say read books that relate to the business, whether it's something like Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Gadara. I still talk about The Customer Service Revolution by John DeJulius. He spoke at a Verma conference about seven or eight years ago. He really, what he said resonated with me. So anybody that's out there recommending books, read those books. We've talked about the attraction and those folks who are out there talking about EOS. Read the books that give that background. And also the information that comes from the online sources such as Skift. And I, I spend a lot of time on, on still on blog posts, reading really good blog posts, pillar posts, that, that that deliver a lot of information. Because there is no formal education out there at the moment, that's really all you can do right now. Yeah, I like those suggestions, Heather. We'll put links in the show notes to the Vacation Rental Formula website and people can check you out there. We'll also link some of the other things we talked about, the podcast we recommended, and there are some other things in there. We went a little bit over, Heather, but thank you. We appreciate you and your time. I know, as I joked earlier, you have some sunshine to get back to and other things to attend to. Despite the fact that you're a recovering property manager, as you joked about when we talked in Orlando, you still have a lot of things going on, which is always good to see uh, from our side of things. Yeah, thanks again for your time. We appreciate it. We also appreciate any listener that's made it this far. You know what they have to do, Heather. They have to go to their podcast app of choice, <laughs> click five stars, leave a review, and then more people can listen to these fantastic conversations with more folks like Heather. So again, thanks for your time, and we'll catch everybody on the next episode of the Art of Hospitality. Thanks so much. Thank thanks. you.